I think there has been a, a clear realization that as we mature as a learning organization, we have to constantly go back and check in with our customers. And we also have to be able to have very candid conversations with our customers around priorities and around responsibility and hold one another accountable. It can't just be a one-way street. Welcome to Second Opinions, a HealthStream podcast. I'm your host, Brad Weeks. Join me as I talk to some of the preeminent thought leaders and experts working in healthcare today. In these candid interviews, we're going to hear some alternative views. We're definitely going to challenge conventional wisdom, and we're going to get a little personal, but we are looking for second opinions. Join us. Today we're talking with Andy Lawrence, the Vice President of Enterprise Learning and Personal Development at SCL Health. Andy's joining us from his office in Broomfield, Colorado, which is just a few miles north of Denver. SCL Health is a faith-based, not-for-profit health network serving communities in Colorado, Kansas, and Montana. Andy leads the learning and development efforts for the system's 17,000 associates. He has over 30 years of IT and HR experience, not only in healthcare, but also in telecommunications, financial services, energy, and transportation. Andy, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Brad. Tell our listeners about your background and more specifically about your current role at SCO Health. I've had the real good fortune of pursuing my passion for over 30 years. I started in the airline industry and really came up through the ranks, uh, both from a customer service perspective and then translating my subject matter expertise into what has turned into a lifelong career in corporate education. And then I found myself about 10 years ago stepping into healthcare. My team is largely focused on meeting the needs of the enterprise. We have focus in enterprise resource management systems, so finance and support systems of that nature. We also deeply are involved in the curriculum development supporting our electronic medical record. And we also have actually full cycle responsibilities from design, development, delivery, implementation, and evaluation for our revenue service area. I'd like to talk to you about metrics, specifically about performance. What do you think are the metrics that you see as most important to leaders today? And secondly, how can learning and development provide value around those metrics? In my experience, there's two metrics that are important to executives. I think that they are important to learners as well. Reduce time to train, increase representative performance. So let me give you an example. There are industries that I've worked in where it has been very successful to take a curriculum. Let's say the curriculum is 12 weeks in in length. If you set a goal to reduce that training time by 33%, you're going to drop that class from 12 weeks to nine weeks. That's a goal. So setting that mark of reducing time to train by a particular percentage is drawing a stake in the ground, but it isn't often successful if it's done arbitrarily. When I have engaged in conversation and in projects involving the reduction in time to train, it's been based on the 
the desire to change the way the learning actually takes place. So again, maybe moving from that parochial environment of the Little Red Schoolhouse of Sage on the Stage Delivery, moving to more of a guide on the side, taking a traditional classroom environment and converting it into something that looks like perhaps a call center floor, um, where assignments are given the same way work activities are given on the floor. And maybe that's done through a vertical file, whereas folks come in for training, they go to their vertical file, they pull out their activities for the day. Their work for whatever duration of time training takes place is training to engage folks in small group coaching, much like a leader would engage them as a staff meeting, and then letting them depart, go back and do self-paced learning, and then inspect that work, just like a supervisor inspects work, and has that gating process of, if you've demonstrated the performance given the condition and criteria, then you have mastered that activity and now you can move on to the next level. The other metric is increasing representative performance. And this, to me, is most effective when you compare a control group to the group or cohort that's undergoing matriculation in a, in a new curriculum that has been, let's say, reduced by 33%. There's a great deal of assessment and reporting that needs to take place to be able to control group results at the same time you're measuring the results of the new curriculum and the cohort that's going through the new curriculum. The two most important metrics are reducing time to train while at the same time increasing representative performance. It speaks to the whole concept of stewardship. It speaks to the whole concept of focusing in on the learner. But it does also require a great deal of courage and a great deal of hand-holding, both from a leadership and from a end-user perspective, as we begin to try to change the landscape of learning and development. We've heard some success stories and probably some not-so-successful stories about staff training around implementation of an electronic medical record system. Now, you just completed a successful implementation process at SCO Health. What can you tell our listeners about what you learned through that process? Well, the implementation of an EMR, it's a daunting task. I do believe that some of the lessons that we've learned, good, bad, or indifferent, is that while as learning leaders and educators, we may have a vision of what will be successful, in the absence of having a conversation with the end users, that's a gamble. And, you know, I'm here to tell you, I, I've made that gamble. Um, my, my leaders that I work with have made that gamble. Sometimes it pays off. Oftentimes it pays off when there's careful consideration for um, individual and organizational readiness, that alignment with key senior leaders, and a very metered and thoughtful approach to implementation. There have also been times where we move forward perhaps too rapidly and we miss the step of that change management and the preparation of the learner. So clearly we have had success 
with many of our implementations. One specifically that comes to mind was an anesthesia module that we implemented. And that curriculum was designed around a very clear performance-oriented set of outcomes. We leveraged the use of a learning methodology known in the industry as criterion referenced instructional design. Many folks will recognize that as the work of Dr. Robert F. Mager, who has been a pioneer in learning and development for, for many, many years. That being said, we were successful in educating our physicians and the support staff using a model leveraged video-based lecture combined with practice in a training environment based on a series of case studies or scenarios. The more practice there is in the learning, the more successful the transfer of knowledge will be once an individual returns to the work environment. It was well-regarded, got good feedback. There was even excitement and statements from some of our customers, both at the leadership level and at the informatics level and from a clinical education level, that we wanted, quote, all EMR training uh, to reflect the same model of performance-based education and, and training. And so we had the great opportunity of bringing on a new um, hospital, and we're delighted to have that hospital as part of our our family now. It was about 90 beds, full uh, acute facility. And we did have a lot of lessons learned in that implementation. We missed a very important step, and that was having a conversation with the end users and moving them along the continuum of acceptance that this was going to be their training experience. And so we had the convergence of individuals coming into the classroom with the expectation of the traditional parochial sage on the stage delivery, and their worlds were rocked. So learning and development, again, was the face of change. And we missed a golden opportunity to ensure that the methodology would be successful. And that was compounded by the fact that we were moving very, very quickly. So I would offer that as an honest example of how our best of intentions were not successful because we missed some of the most important fundamental conversations in and around organizational readiness and change. How are you using that lesson that you've learned and applying that, how you handle the learning and development function in general? We have really been working very closely with our revenue service division. And admittedly, there were miscommunications and misunderstandings. And so as executive leaders, a couple of us got together and we looked at our, ourselves and we looked at our teams and we had candid conversation about what was needed. And one of the things that was needed was the ability to educate our, our team members on conflict resolution, surprisingly. Once we started making that investment, not only did the improve at the leadership level, it started to permeate down through the ranks of our associates. We implemented a foundational leadership development program that has been very successful. Over the course of a 90-day period, 
we had a series of coaching sessions, opportunities to ask questions, to relate experiences. Where did folks find it easy to apply what they've learned? Where were they struggling? And we also laid an expectation that we wanted to see in 90 days the the success, the opportunities, the realities of applying these leadership behaviors in the day-to-day practice. We started to have real meaningful discussion about where there were gaps in the learning. And one of the things that we realized as a organization from a learning perspective that was heavily focused on our electronic medical record, there are all sorts of other aspects of the learning that needed to be present in in the learning environment. And I think it builds the relationship again and positions us to be able to start focusing on the deeper gaps in systems that fall outside of the EMR. And it gets us back to our core belief that at the end of the day, training is about teaching people how to do their job. And we can't be selective or exclusive in that approach. We have to be inclusive and and all-encompassing. I think there has been a, a clear realization that as we mature as a learning organization, we have to constantly go back and check in with our customers. And we also have to be able to have very candid conversations with our customers around priorities and around responsibility and hold one another accountable. It can't just be a one-way street. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we're discussing in this episode, visit our website at healthstream.com slash podcast. And if you like what you're hearing, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. You can also subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Let's pick up where we left off. Let's talk about educating the millennial employee. They confound us, and in many ways, they delight us. How do you think the healthcare industry needs to approach learning and development to tap into the strengths of these particular learners? This can be a very emotionally charged topic. Long time ago, I was informed that as a leader or as an educator, that everyone has a sign over their head that says, make me feel special. As educators, trainers, leaders, it's our responsibility to polish that sign over people's heads. I definitely recognize the need to be cognizant of generational differences in the workplace. And I think that there is so much that we can learn from our millennial associates. I think that we challenge them They challenge us in ways that impact our relationships. So I think there's learning that we can gain from each other. And I think that that's been a big part of our growth is recognizing the importance of providing skills, managing expectations, and in doing so, working toward delivering a quality product. There's also a recognition that we have many other generations in the workplace and the focus on technology and the focus on a specific cross-section of our generational population 
is also something that we have to be very thoughtful about and could pose a risk if we move too quickly. I can remember about 10 years ago, we were starting to see a great deal of movement as baby boomers began to retire, especially in the ranks of nursing. I had heard stories and talked with nurses who had bounced from different organizations as electronic medical records were starting to enter into into day-to-day activity. It actually was dramatically changing the contract of employment, if you will. Many of those nurses were called to their careers out of a sincere desire to, to administer to the needs of others and felt that the electronic medical record was going to detract from that. And that was their motivation. It was not that they wanted to leave an organization and start over, but that they wanted to practice medicine a particular way. There's someone that's that's considering getting into learning and development. What do you think they need to be focused on? And how can we set that person up for success? What do they need to know and be thinking about as they pursue that field? One of the things that I've noticed over the years in learning and development kind of universally, is approaching things from a perspective of a beginner's mind. So I think that that's one of the characteristics or qualities that I look for in educators and curriculum developers and leaders is someone who is passionate about the learning process. I also believe in the old adage of oftentimes, if the will is present, we can teach the skill. I am a strong advocate of education. That's why I do what I do. But to me, education is a little different from training. Education is a part of developing a a worldly view and becoming informed about different perspectives, whereas training is a little more directive. And I think from a vocational perspective, I would strongly advocate that the specialist training specialist model is a very successful model in healthcare. I also think there's value in the creative and the individual who has had exposure in other industries, because I think that's part of what helps propel any organization forward. You have to have a balance of the the technical expertise or the clinical expertise with the instructional design, the understanding of how adults learn, the the importance of experience and and the different types of, of learning that will take place, whether it's formal or informal. One of the things that I love about um, the connection between instructional design and leadership is if you are strong in your ability to create an instructional objective, you will be even stronger in your ability to create performance objectives. I think it's an important ability to be able to give feedback, that it is balanced, that we use feedback models of of approaching individuals and saying, are you receptive to feedback? If so, here's the feedback. I had an example this morning that kind of made me chuckle. And I have a team member who so beautifully reflected in her response to a question and a statement of mine, level two listening and the focus on others. And it 
not only filled me with pride, but I took the opportunity to say, you know, are you receptive to some feedback? I'd like to specifically say that you demonstrated really strong level two listening skill in responding back to me. And I think that it's in the moment that made it very powerful. And I think we need to do the same thing when we see performance that is not representative of our expectations. Corporate courage is an important aspect of what will make a learning professional successful. Passion around learning, whether it's andragogy or pedagogy or whatever the the focus area of the end user or the individual is, for me, highest on the list is a genuine interest in developing others and developing oneself and that unending desire to experience new things, try new processes, and recognize that we have to try things. Sometimes we'll be successful. Sometimes we'll we'll fail. Where do you see this field in the next 10 years? I almost reached for my magic eight ball to answer that question. You know, I think that it does, for me, go back to relationships. I think relationships and the the classroom will always be a part of learning and development. At least that's my interpretation of what the future has to hold. I think technology, without a doubt, is going to have an influence. I think the voice of our customers, as we talked about millennials and all generations in the organization, um, have articulated and will continue to articulate their needs. I think that we have to listen to them, and I think that that will ultimately guide where we land. But if I had a crystal ball, I would say that the introduction and the use of virtual reality which is not new. I think it will grow and develop and the cost will decrease as oftentimes technology will drive. I think collaborative learning, engagement of resources in geographically dispersed locations will start to take real meaningful result. I think we'll perhaps corporately learn a lot from what's happening in colleges and universities and the distance education aspect, I think we just have to keep racing to the finish line and moving at the speed of business to respond to the needs of of learners. And no matter where our individual crystal balls suggest that we're going to be, I think the true test and the true source of, of insight will be the end user and will be our associates. They'll tell us whether we're on the right track. And they certainly will tell us if we're not. Well, Andy, I can't thank you enough for joining us on the program. I think anyone can tell from listening to you today just how passionate you are and what a difference you're making. So we appreciate you being here today. And thanks for what you do. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to spend some time with you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. You can learn more about what we've talked about today by visiting our website at healthstream.com slash podcast. For more second opinions, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can also subscribe on our website, on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Brad Weeks, and I'll see you here next time for more second opinions.